You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast. This is Energy Insiders, broadcast uh, from different places around Australia. Um, My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm up in northern New South Wales. Joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK in Sydney. David, how are things? Well, thanks, Giles. Uh, Hello to all our listeners. I'm firmly based in Sydney as usual and welcome to our special guest this week. And indeed, our first guest um, on, on an international link, actually, um, uh, Laurie Muliverta, and I'm not too sure if I've got the pronunciation right, but um, at the moment, I think, Laurie, you're in, the, you're in Manila. Normally, you're a uh, Beijing-based analyst for Greenpeace. That's right. Good to meet you. Well, thanks for joining us. Look, a lot to talk about, um, particularly because uh, Laurie, you look have you had a you, you have a, um, a deep interest in the coal industry and some of the climate policies in China and also around the world. And, Really looking forward to talking about that. David, we've got to get through some of the news from Australia this week. Now, um, I started off with a column on Monday thinking that um, this debate could not get um, any uh, more stupid. Um, And that was in response to a story in the Fin Review about battery storage and some rather silly claims. But then it did. First of all, we had Tony Abbott talking about climate change and how it's good for us um, overnight on Tuesday. Then we had an extraordinary response to demand response. This is this um, rather sort of smart sort of grid scheme put in place by AEMO and Arena, and um, the response to the Conservatives about that, about how these are effectively blackouts and it's punishing the poor and we're going to have poor kids sort of running down the street looking for a house where they can find air conditioning because everyone's air conditioning is going to be turned off um, because of these demand response measures. And then we read in the paper today that, yes, indeed, it looks like the Turbot, Turnbull, um, Turnbot, that's probably, uh, <laughs> the Turnbull-Abbott coalition government is moving towards not having a clean energy target at all, which is what we kind of suspected at the start of the week, and having something which may be called politely a reliability target, but could in fact be called a coal energy target. David, which of these particular things scared you most um, or was the dumbest in your opinion um, or is it just a continuation of what we've been seeing over the last couple of years? Well, I, th- I think it was uh, fairly clear uh, in some ways. The Abbott thing, I think, actually plays very much into the hands of anyone that's anti-Abbott. When, he, when, when Abbott talks about uh, and when people talk about renewable energy making electricity more expensive... Those of us who know what we're talking about know that that's wrong, but it takes a while to get to the ins and outs of it. When Tony Abbott stands up and and starts talking about climate change, it's just obvious he's an idiot, and it plays, as I say, into the hands of everyone else and makes him look very weak and irrelevant, and so that's... I'm I'm happy with that. As far as demand response goes, it's a new topic for the mainstream media, and so I expect them to come out with some fairly idiotic statements until they get their head around it. We know it has the support of a lot of the people who know how electricity works today and is going to work in the future. So again, I'm relaxed that in time the facts will speak for themselves on that, particularly as it's going to be a price-driven response and an opportunity for people to make uh, some money in some circumstances. And thirdly, we'll have to wait and see what comes exactly from the Turnbull announcement, but I'm of the strong view that um, a a firm abandonment of the clean energy target is actually going to be a positive in a way, 
as it will be handing the ground over to everyone else. It will certainly encourage those states that have already got renewable targets and reverse auctions to, to carry on with their path and be confident that they are the ones that are going to be uh, uh, shouldering the load. I think the question will be very much in New South Wales's court as to what they're going to do about it. Mm. I guess the thing that worries me a little bit is that if we're relying on the state-based um, policies, and I've got no problem with those, some of those state-based policies, um, they are subject to their own um, political manoeuvrings, and Victoria and South Australia and Queensland all go to the polls in 2018, um, and the coalition and the opposition and the Conservative parties have all... Um, promise to dismantle the various um, renewable energy initiatives. So um, that worries me slightly. Um, but um, but yes, look, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next week. Um, Laurie, I went to a uh, the All Energy Conference in Melbourne this week, um, which was really, really interesting. And I guess one of the fascinating things about it was how, despite the political um, discourse, we're seeing a lot of progress in solar and storage, particularly behind the meter. And I guess that's in response to the um, high energy prices in Australia. One former very senior um, utility um, boss in Australia mentioned to me that he'd been to a utility conference in Europe just recently and they just were looking at Australia and they were scratching their heads and going, hang on, we just don't understand what's going on here. You're an advanced economy, you're an OECD economy. Why on earth aren't you getting on with this? What on earth is all this debate about? From the outside looking in, is, is that something that um, that you see discussed in the same way? Certainly the fact that uh, that there is a debate about how do we keep lights on with pretty modest amounts of uh, variable renewables um, seems interesting. <laughs> That's a very polite way of putting it. I'm <laughs> very cautious. <laughs> How is Australia, how is Australia seen then in the broader? And we'll get onto the coal and, and and some of the details of the coal market um, pretty soon. But how is Australia seen at the moment in the broad sense um, in the international community? Because we, we we're, we're coming up to the Bond Climate Change Conference. We kind of understand what people see from the outside looking in with Trump's America. What are people saying about from the outside looking in about Turnbull's Australia? The last that I ran into Australia was when. Uh... Uh, the AIIB, the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, uh, that, uh, that that was set up by China, but that Australia is a part of, was formulating its energy policy. And uh, Australia was leading the charge to channel effectively Chinese public money to building coal-fired power plants in developing countries, which was to totally outrageous in my opinion. I mean, it's one thing to do mm. uh, stupid things with your own money, but trying to convince the Chinese to go and build coal-fired power plants across Asia uh, when when uh, the Chinese side was not keen to do that. Uh, that's just a completely different level. Laurie, I'd, I'd like to uh, break this discussion out from Australia just for a moment and uh, start thinking globally just for a minute. I know that uh, you've been part of a series of reports um, over this year and I guess the last year that have looked at the development of, of coal. We've looked at the uh, coal to chemical industry in China, which can add a whole Australia's worth of carbon emissions. 
Um, I, I, I work into it gradually, but can I just ask, what's been the top thing on your mind uh, in, in your work this year? Uh, this year, we've really seen a dramatic drop in the development of new coal-fired power plants. Um, first, there was the realization last year in China that they've got way too many. There is massive overcapacity in coal and the government has moved step by step, but very fast to first clamp down on new projects and now to canceling or suspending projects that were already um, in the pipeline. And, and that's been a major shift. Um, India saw a similar shift uh, recently. The numbers you're talking about in China, sorry to interrupt, Laurie, but I'd just like the listeners to, to, to appreciate the numbers. And I think um, we had an article by you in Renew Economy um, on Friday. Um, it's about 100 gigawatts, isn't it? Or is it even more, 150 gigawatts? That's two or three times the size of Australia's grid. That's right. So. The target that was set at the end of uh, last year was to stop or suspend uh, 150 gigawatts of uh, uh, new coal-fired projects um, uh, in China. Some of them already under construction, some of them uh, being given different uh, planning permissions, but not yet under construction. And then just two weeks ago, uh, the government finally issued the first list of the projects that are actually going to get the axe and that list was uh, almost uh, 100 gigawatts but so it's still short of the 150 gigawatt target so uh, we're definitely expecting more hmm. and laurie i was just reviewing the stats it, it after a, a, a couple of years where it looked like coal consumption was going down and the hours of output per coal station were becoming less and, and you could have made an argument that coal-fired electricity was was going to have falling profits as, as, as a problem and an increased share of uh, wind and PV and we've certainly seen some fantastic increases in PV capacity installed this year but when I look at the numbers in fact electricity consumption is up this year about six percent and coal-fired electricity has pretty much maintained its market share. And then, as you, uh, as you pointed out earlier, we've also got the coal to chemicals conversion. I, I sort of worry that the whether this is just a blip in, in a process or, 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 I mean, how do you think about it? It's definitely been incredibly disappointing. What happened was that uh, in early 2016, uh, the Chinese government uh, or different levels of government from uh, city to province uh, to central um, started a massive uh, stimulus uh, push that involved infrastructure projects, uh, loser financing. Uh, so basically a debt boom that has uh, driven um, a jump in heavy industry volumes, uh, steel, cement, other energy in de, uh, intensive materials and uh, that's the effect that we're now seeing in electricity demand at the same time you've had a bad hydro year which means that uh, coal as you say has uh, roughly maintained its market share in spite of the very rapid increase in uh, wind and solar and nuclear output hmm. but so uh, this so is this is a, a a phenomenon that we shouldn't have been surprised by, to be very honest. It's something that has happened 
every time in the run-up to the uh, uh, to the um, once in every five years party congress where all the party cadres, uh, officials uh, get promoted or otherwise. So everyone's looking to boost their GDP numbers. We had been hoping that uh, we'd, we would have gotten over this dynamic. China's put a lot of effort into broadening the focus away from uh, short-term GDP growth, but unfortunately not enough. But so next year is going to be very different in those terms. Uh, the economic reforms are definitely going to be uh, the main focus again. And and so it, that's interesting. I, and it's interesting that you put it in the context of the five-year uh, uh, party meeting. So I guess what I'm asking, I think what everyone asks themselves is how serious is China about, I suppose, the visible signs of the SOX and the NOx emissions, the pollution in the city. It's easy for anyone, even someone who doesn't pay much attention to climate change, to understand why China would want to do something about smog. But more, we see the electric vehicle initiatives. In, in your opinion, how serious is China about really doing something about carbon emissions? If you if you ask how serious is China about uh, um, new energy and clean energy, it's definitely extremely serious. Uh, the drivers are, as you say, air pollution. Climate change plays a part, but it's also um, an important part of the industrial strategy, the strategy of, of creating new economic growth drivers, new sectors, and uh, um, and uh, the Chinese leadership has definitely recognized that things like uh, wind and solar energy and electric vehicles are a big part of uh, uh, that. So, and actually, as a result of that, as a result of the fact that, uh, uh, for example, solar panels are so central in industrial transformation, um, uh, as a result of uh, the economic reforms that took place, especially 2014-15, China's uh, moved a lot faster in terms of uh, reducing CO2 emissions than their um, climate targets would require. So a lot of the um, discussion in Australia seems to be framed in the sense that, oh, China's not going to reduce its emissions until pretty close to 2030. Um, what are your expectations now of when that actually might start to happen? I mean, is it, um, one gets the sense that it might be peaking already. Um, what, what, what's your sense of it? What's really clear and, and really seems like the consensus uh, view in Beijing is that the kind of rapid growth that we saw for the past couple of decades until 2013 in CO2 emissions is over. That's not going to happen again. And, and in that in and by well, itself is, yeah, that's, that's really the game changer uh, for uh, the global climate efforts, because as, as long as that kind of growth was taking place in, in China, uh, there was really no way for global emissions to peak and decline. Do you think they have capped? But I do think there's a real debate about um, whether uh, we are going to see a long plateau in CO2 emissions at roughly uh, current levels or whether the decline that we start to see in 2014-15 is actually the new normal already. And, and there are certainly Chinese um, experts uh, in Beijing who are saying that uh, it's very possible 
that the, the peak in CO2 emissions was uh, 2014. Well, that's, that's extraordinary. I mean, and that's, um, once that's recognised, I think that could be a, a very important um, element in the discussion, not just in Australia, but I guess um, across the world. And, and, and so if we just, while we mention the world, I think, Laurie, uh, you were saying that you've been looking at what's happening in coal even more broadly than China, if such a thing is possible. After all, China's half of global coal consumption. Um, but what else are you seeing in, in your travels? The other thing that really happened this year is India recognising that it's already overbuilt, um, that, that it's also overbuilt uh, coal-fired capacity and uh, putting the brakes on expansion. So we saw a dramatic fall in uh, coal-fired power plant development and, uh, um, and really a recognition that uh, electricity demand isn't going to grow as fast as, as was expected. and. Uh, uh, that new energy sources, wind and solar and so on, are already starting to make uh, a significant uh, contribution to covering uh, the growth. Now, I understand that you've also got a report coming out um, very soon, which talks, um, which gives some other interesting um, data. Um, I'm not too sure whether you can, how much detail you can go into that, but I think one of the metrics is about um, the number of G7 countries that have actually already made a commitment to leave coal and we just saw this week or this last week, um, Netherlands committing to get out of coal. I can't remember the year it's going to get out, actually. I think it's 2025 or 2030. And the interesting thing about that is that they only opened some of their coal plants just two years ago. Yeah, that's uh, very positive and very uh, dramatic. So, so there were new coal-fired power plants that just came online and, and uh, Netherlands is now committing to being coal-free coal in 2030. Last year, we had uh, three out of the eight main economies, the G8, uh, main developed economies, um, uh, the UK, France, and Canada, uh, set uh, coal phase-out uh, deadlines. Obviously, Beijing became coal-free this year, the city, and uh, um, Scotland became coal-free, Belgium became coal-free, um, and uh, this year, Massachusetts is going to become coal-free. When, when you talk about Beijing being coal-free, what do you mean? Does that mean that at one stage, just a few years ago, it had a whole bunch of coal plants, and, and I do understand that the pollution there was, was shocking, so they've actually closed them all down and it's gone? That, that's right. Beijing had three large uh, coal-fired power stations, and all of those um, have been closed down. There's a coal-free zone in the city where... Uh, small-scale coal burning is also banned and, and uh, this winter one of the big pushes is moving households not only in Beijing but also in the sur surrounding areas away from heating with coal so there's supposed to be three million households uh, that used to be burning burning coal uh, inside their homes for heating uh, that are going to be using electricity and gas for that. Hmm. I think it was about 100 million tonnes. I, I, it's great that they're doing that, but this is where the cynical financial analyst will just point out that all that's happened is that uh, China is keeping Beijing happy and moved all the coal production to Mo uh, Mongolia, where there are less people to complain about the pollution, and they just build these uh, transmission lines to, to, to bring it back to where, where the electricity is actually consumed. Laurie, I wanted to ask a slightly... 
technical economic question, and you may not know the answer, but uh, it seems to me that now that China is importing coal at the margin, thermal coal, that, that that will affect the price that has to be paid and therefore the price that's needed for electricity. What do you see happening to the costs of producing electricity and the prices that the uh, industry is having to pay? Is, there, is that sort of going to have any impact on, 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 on the numbers? The coal price has definitely already had a big impact on uh, profitability. So China's got regulated power prices that are supposed to be adjusted according uh, to the price of thermal coal, but that are quite sluggish to actually do that. So the uh, increase in coal prices that resulted in uh, China, the rebound in, in from the, the rebound in China's imports um, has really seen uh, the profit margins of coal-fired generators in China um, falling in a pretty painful way. And one of the outcomes of that was merging the world's uh, one of the world's largest coal miners, Shenhua, with uh, uh, one of the largest uh, uh, coal-fired power generators, uh, Guodian, uh, to effectively pass coal at uh, pro- at, at the um, cost of uh, production rather than at the uh, market price to Guardian's uh, uh, thermal fleet and uh, to bypass the international coal market. Explain that to me. What, what's the significance of that? Well, well, they can buy coal. They can buy coal at the mine at the miners' cost instead of having to buy coal at the market price because they become vertically mm. integrated. They've still got to recover that though in the electricity price, right? Right. And and I think also we've seen some liberalisation of electricity markets in China, haven't we, Laurie? That results in. Um, more of the volume being at some market contracted price rather than at the uh, fixed tariff? Yes, there's an effort to do that. Um, I think it has been held back a big bit by, by the fact that um, electricity demand growth hasn't uh, still, if you look over the past few years, hasn't been as, as large as uh, expected. So a lot of the demand has been covered by the planned uh, volumes. But there is definitely a push to do that. It's uh, China's been trying to reform electricity markets for a long time, um, so I'm not going to uh, um, say anything very confident about how fast that process is going to um, happen and how uh, how large part of the market will be uh, liberalized. But uh, certainly, uh, doing things like uh, the Guodian Shenhua merger was also an attempt to make that more, uh, that kind of a, a liberalisation more palatable. Just going back to, and, and, I mean, the Chinese government is going to be operating a lot under the pressure of its, um, of its, uh, of its people. I mean, you talked about Beijing, and I did have a question, one more question about that. Um, what they've done up to now, has it actually made a difference? So in terms of air quality? Mm, yeah, you, you live in Beijing. Is it, is, is it better air quality now than it was before? There was a massive improvement in air quality from 2012, 2013 to 2015. That's really when uh, the what was known as the economic new normal, moving away from the smokestack industries, um, was happening. And there were new emission norms for coal-fired power plants that were being enforced in general enforcement of industrial air, um, air pollution standards got stronger and so on. So we saw... Uh, 25% fall in 
PM 2.5 levels in just two years, um, not, not only in Beijing, but across eastern China, which is incredibly dramatic and, and uh, unprecedented. Then uh, from early 2016, when this uh, economic stimulus started, we've seen that progress peter uh, off and in, in those places most affected by industrial pollution actually uh, reverse. But, uh-huh. but so um, that, that's something that uh, the leadership also took note of. And uh, last month, an incredibly ambitious action plan was introduced that actually aims to reduce the wintertime PM2.5 levels across northern China by 15% year on year. And, uh, and that's involved a lot of uh, very dramatic measures. Just yesterday, several of the largest steel plants shut down in, in Tangshan, one of the major heavy industry bastions around Beijing. And uh, all of the steel plants in the region, one quarter of China's total steel making capacity are going to be operating at uh, half 50% capacity max for the whole winter. Cement production is getting stopped completely from next month. Um, construction, major construction projects are stopped to uh, control dust, brick making and so on are being controlled and uh, are, are being stopped. So, so these are very dramatic measures and, and uh, you can argue that this is very short term. This is very um, just an effort to uh, to fix uh, a systemic problem with with very draconian edicts, but I do think it's uh, um, it's very important because it's really eroding the profitability of these industries and it's basically forcing the system to uh, to move away from from depending on these sectors. Um, so so uh, I would argue that economic policy has been driven by the need to create demand for steel and cement and other heavy industry materials because that those are so central in the economy. And uh, one, once you weaken those sectors and, and control them, you just uh, get away from, from the uh, tail uh, swinging the cat. I agree with that. I agree with the impact on profitability and, and it might just be optics, but uh, but it, it's also the op- the, just the fact that there's a need to take these optical measures through uh, winter uh, tells you that there's a, it's a political problem that, that has to be dealt with. I'm, I'm interested in asking about um, electric vehicles too, and I think that David probably wants to talk about um, electric vehicles in Australia as well, and we'll probably wrap up on that. But can you, can you just give us a bit of a, a, um, a feel for what's happening in electric vehicles in China? Are you seeing a lot around on the street? Um, we hear talk that the government is looking to um, stop the um, selling of diesel and petrol vehicles within a certain time frame. I'm not too sure if that's official policy yet. Perhaps you can clarify that. The thing that you really see everywhere in China is electric two-wheelers and three, uh, three-wheelers. Uh, so there's... 100 million of them, I think, isn't there? That's right. Very large amount. So basically all uh, small cargo in Beijing on um, electric three-wheelers and, uh, and there's uh, more people commuting on electric two-wheelers than, than on cars. Um, so in that sense, there's already a lot of people who are very used to using electric vehicles and uh, charging them. Um, there's also 
now more than one million electric uh, cars um, on the road. Um, so it's already a pretty significant population that is is uh, centered on uh, Shanghai and Beijing, especially. But a lot of provinces are ramping up production and and have their own uh, plans to build the charging network and have their own um, EV pro promotion policies. So so it's starting to happen. And when th things like this happen in China, they usually happen faster than anyone expects. David, have you got much of something like this happening in Australia? We had a uh, an Australian Institute report on uh, Friday coming out, sort of talking about the pathway forward, but um, we've had precious little happening um, so far. Certainly, I'm not looking for much on the federal side of things, but uh, it's worth pointing out, as we did last week, that oil is the second biggest uh, contributor to global carbon emissions, and something certainly has to be done about that. And there are lots of other uh, reducing vehicle noise and stuff, uh, reducing socks and other emissions from, from petrol is, is certain, and diesel is certainly something to look forward to. Um, I, as I said last week, I, I do think this is something that, that uh, doesn't require federal government policies as much. There's a lot of local governments in terms of free parking and stuff initiatives that I personally think could make a lot of difference for next to no dollar cost. If there are no electric vehicles on the road right now, giving them free parking is not going to cost you very much in the short term. And I just, uh, we're getting up to our time limit and it's been fantastically interesting, Laurie. Before Giles gets around to thanking you, I just want to throw in a thank you. I always enjoy hearing you talk. It's as good as uh, hearing any analyst talk, in my opinion, and, and, and very thorough. So thanks for that. But I, uh, I just wanted to mention the Marshall Plan. It's making its uh, reintroduction here. We haven't seen it since uh, whenever it was, 1947 or something in Germany, but now we've got the Marshall Plan for batteries in South Australia. Holler for a Marshall, uh, because they're going to give $100 million worth of uh, subsidies for behind-the-meter batteries. With the first behind-the-meter battery subsidy we thought we've had in, had in South Australia. What do you think of that idea? I guess you're pretty cynical. Well, I'm pretty cynical. Look, I, look, I welcome um, such an, an initiative. I'm not too sure whether it's going to happen. I think Mr Xenophon's thrown the spell in the works down in South Australia. I don't think that's good news for the Liberal government. And I'm not really impressed with what Mr Marshall says about other things on renewable energy in that state. But look, I think a battery storage initiative is, um, is fantastic. In fact, uh, we do need to get serious about battery storage, um, both at the grid level and at the um, behind the meter level. So any other governments that choose to follow, um, that'd, be, um, that'd be welcome. And look, I've got to say, it's probably of a scale about 20 times bigger than I think what's been announced before. The South Australian government and the Adelaide Council actually do have an initiative, but it's a fairly small beer. And I think the ACT government's got about $5 million, I think, into battery storage. Um, so yeah, look, a good thing. I suppose. Look, I'd like to thank you very much, Laurie, um, for joining us. Um, uh, fascinating thing. We look forward to the release of your report. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Good on you. Um, thank you once again, David. Look, very quickly, is there anything in the coming week that we should look at apart from announcements from Canberra, I suppose, on the clean energy target if we get that? Uh, just that. Uh, Giles, in, in, in 15 seconds, what was the most important thing you got from All Energy? The fact that this um, energy revolution is going to happen anyway, and that's pretty obvious with the ridiculously high grid prices that we've got. Um, consumers, and they're both big and small, are shifting towards solar and storage and smart software. It, a lot of it's going to happen behind the meter. A lot of talk about corporate PPAs for large-scale renewables. A lot of talk about community-sized um, installations, that little 5, 10, 15, 21 megawatt mark. 
Um, I think there's a lot of excitement about there. Um, and um, there were certainly a lot of very wealthy um, solid companies putting on very grand shows in the evening um, for drinks and things. So that's probably a good sign. And maybe they should start getting a corporate box at the cricket or the football and start taking the Murdoch media out there. And maybe they'll take the industry seriously. <laughs> well done, Giles. I think we'll have to wind it up there. Good on you. Thanks very much, David. Thanks once again, Laurie. And thanks to everyone uh, for listening. And please give us your response and feedback and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us along. And thanks to our advertisers and our sponsors once again, Solaray and What Watchers. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solaray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.